This morning, I'm going to start off, and I'm going to tell you I'm a hypocrite. And you may say, why do I want to listen to a hypocrite? Because I'm going to be talking about prayer. And I have to admit, when it comes to prayer, it's probably one topic I hate to talk about, but I know I need to talk about it. And the reason I hate to talk about it is because I know in my own life, I struggle with prayer. Does anybody like me struggle with prayer? I know I'm supposed to pray, but... How do I do it? And then I hear about the giants of prayer. I read the prayers in Scripture, and I'm just like blown away. And so there's a part of me that's going to be challenging you this morning, but know that I'm going to be challenging myself because I need to be better at prayer. We're in this series on hope, and I think there's two categories of us as individuals. There's the one category I like to be in as well, where it comes from Romans 15, and it's Paul's benediction, where it says, may the God of hope, may the God of hope, you know, God, we worship a God of hope, and may the God of hope fill us with joy, that's gladness, that's excitement, and peace as we trust him. The purpose of that is so that we will overflow in our lives with hope and confidence in what God is doing in us and through us and for his glory. And I imagine some of you, when you hear that verse, don't you get really excited? And you get like pumped to know that the God of hope is working in us and through us. But at the same time, I hear in the back of my mind, I hear Paul saying, do not be anxious. It's a command. Do not be anxious. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't, don't be all tied up in knots. Don't, don't spend your nights worrying on your, your pillow. Don't be anxious, but rather pray. Pray prayers of thanksgiving. Pray prayers of trust. Lift up to the Lord all types of petitions and prayers and And then something will happen, not only the God of hope, but then something miraculous, the God of peace, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So today we're going to look at the anxiety cure, and there's only one cure for anxiety, and that is prayer. And what we're going to do today is we're going to open up to the book of Acts. I'm going to look at four stories. Hopefully I'll have time to go through those four stories And they're powerful stories. And instead of me giving stories of illustration, I'm going to let the story itself speak to us. But here's the one condition I want. I want you to go back, or even as I'm talking, I want you to picture yourself in the book of Acts. I want you to picture yourself being right there in the early church. I want you to smell it and taste it and feel it and experience as though you were right there. When Jesus ascended into heaven and you were wondering what was going to happen next. So if you would, turn in your Bibles. If you brought your Bibles or turn on your phone and go right to the book of Acts. Put the other part of your phone on airplane mode so that you can focus in this morning on the word of God. Because it's the word of God that we need to speak to us. So Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And I'm going to always read a little bit of the context so that we can get to the verse. But here's the first area we need to look at when it comes to the anxiety cure. We're going to look at this topic of uncertainty. What to do when we don't know the future. 
I don't know about you, but nothing causes me more anxiety than being uncertain. Not knowing the future, not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing what God is up to, not knowing the end results. Here's what we see in Acts chapter 1. He's talking, Luke is talking about in his first book that he wrote to Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Verse 2 says, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, which is powerful in and of itself. Verse 3 says, he presented himself alive to them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during the 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the reign and rule of Jesus Christ here on earth. Every Jew was expecting that Jesus Christ was going to take out Rome, was going to establish a new kingdom, and the Jews were going to be reigning and ruling with their Messiah. That's what they were hoping for. Verse 4, he says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard me from the beginning, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then notice what it says in verse 6. And it says, So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? You see, in uncertain times, we have questions. The problem is we're often asking the wrong question. We're not asking the question that God wants us to be asking because we are afraid of the future and they're asking the question that they think they got God right where he wants them, where they want them. They got Jesus right there and saying, the kingdom is ready, your death, your resurrection, your Lord, you reign. But notice this. He said to them, it is not for you to know. You see, when God is working in our lives, he's not going to give us the answer sometimes. He's not going to let us know with certainty so that we can trust him. He says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. All we need to know is God is in control. God is sovereign. He says, and this is a verse we looked at all week at conference, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, here's where the anxiety starts to build. When he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, he went and behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus was taken up from you into heaven. He will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Anxiety, uncertainty. In fact, it was interesting. I was looking up the word uh, for uncertainty, and I was looking for synonyms for it. And you know one of the synonyms for uncertainty is the word anxiety. Picture yourself there. Your Lord, your Savior, the one that had been discipling you for three years, who you were scared he was dead. But then as we sung this morning, death was arrested and Jesus Christ is alive. And you're ready for the kingdom to come and he, poof, 
He's gone. What are we going to do next? What is going to happen? It's very interesting. I was looking at, I was trying to place myself in this story and look at my own story. And right now, um, I would appreciate prayer for Michelle and I. We're, we're living in times of uncertainty. The church is in times of uncertainty. We are living in America right now. It's very uncertain what is going to happen. Uncertainty is around us. It's in our families. It's at our jobs. Sometimes it's in our checkbook. Uncertainty is all around us. What are we going to do? And and as I was looking at this passage, it just jumped out at me that there were seven anxious moments. The first one is found in verse 4 where it says, where he told them, stay in Jerusalem. Just think about it. Put yourself there. The disciples were always telling Jesus what? Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't go to Jerusalem. Uh, Bad stuff happens when you go into Jerusalem. He's saying, stay in Jerusalem. And you know what God is saying to some of us right now? He's saying, stay in the place that you feel the least comfortable. It's all right to stay in a marriage that is very troublesome. It's all right to stay with your prodigal. It's all right to stay in a school that's not working. It's all right to stay in those moments where there is anxiety. Stay in Jerusalem even though you want to get out of Jerusalem. And even though you know that there was pain and suffering and crucifixion and all that was going on in Jerusalem, stay. But then notice the second area. He said, but wait. I don't, whenever God tells me to wait, guess what? I have anxiety. He tells them to wait. Then notice third, he says, you were baptized with water by John, but guess what? Now you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'd be saying, what? what's going to happen with the Holy Spirit? And, and if that wouldn't cause you anxiety, and we're going to look at this a little bit, if the Holy Spirit does not cause you anxiety, something is wrong. Because the Holy Spirit is trying to work in our lives and transform us. Fourth, Notice what he says. He says, I'm not going to tell you when God is restoring the kingdom. You want the kingdom. All the Jews wanted the kingdom of God to be present and for him to set up shop and reign and rule. And he, again, he's saying, wait. Notice number fifth. There's anxiety because God is in control, but he's going to keep us in the land where we don't know. Six, he's telling us to be witnesses. And again, probably the most anxious thing for a Christian is having to be a witness. To be a witness at home, to be a witness at work, to be a witness at school, to be a witness at our neighbors. Because we're, let's be honest, we're all afraid of sharing our faith. But he's saying, let us witness anxiety. And number seven, notice this. He takes off up into the clouds. And they don't know where he went. And again, I think they're looking because they're like saying to themselves, he's just going up there for a second, right? He's going up there for a second. 
But the anxiety that is filling them is found in verse 12. Then notice what it says. Then they returned to Jerusalem. My question is, how long did they wait before they said, I guess he's not coming back. He's not coming back. What are we going to do? I guess we better go back to Jerusalem. Here, though, is the answer to the anxiety. It's not to call a business meeting. It's not to create a strategic plan. It is not to go and have lunch somewhere and say, hey, can we figure this out in the times of uncertainty? There is only one answer to the anxiety of uncertainty when you just don't know. Let your eyes jump down to verse 14. He's talking about the disciples. He's talking about the women. And notice what he says. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In the midst of their anxiety, the number one thing they did to cure their anxiety was they prayed. This word, one accord, literally means they were like-minded. You see, when you got anxiety going on in your church, when you got anxiety going on in your home, when you have anxiety going on, maybe in a nonprofit or a Christian organization, you got to find other people who think biblically, who think alike, who can think that prayer is the answer to our anxiety. Prayer is the answer to everything, and we need to pray. So they were like-minded, they were harmonious, they were committed. And if that like-mindedness is not enough to cure the anxiety, notice something special that he says here, and he repeats it over and over again in the book of Acts. He says they were devoting themselves. Literally, they continued on. They persevered. This word later is used in Acts to describe an attendant or somebody that is attending with. It's basically saying that the disciples made the decision in the times of uncertainty, not knowing when the kingdom was going to come, not knowing when the Holy Spirit was going to come, not knowing what they had to wait in Jerusalem for exactly. They had no idea of Acts chapter 2. We're reading that into it because we know it. They had no idea what was going to happen. They had no idea who was going to be replacing Judas. And so they had to devote themselves to prayer. When the early church starts in Acts 2.42, same word, they devoted themselves to prayer. My favorite verse, Romans 12.12, where it says to rejoice in hope, be faithful in prayer. It's the same word, be devoted in prayer. Continue in prayer. When you're facing uncertainty, as we face uncertainty as a church, we need to pray together. Now, what I, what I notice about this verse is suddenly now the new era of the church is different. The like-mindedness is not just men praying. There are men and women praying. Probably it has flipped in the church today. What has happened is more often the women are praying and the men are doing the work. 
Because again, we think we can work our way out of uncertainty. We can't work our way out of uncertainty. We need to trust the Lord. If you're feeling uncertainty and it's causing anxiety about your future, what's going to happen next? And again, it can be with a loved one. It can be in a relationship. It can be with your health. It can be in a whole many different places. You need to pray. Turn over now to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. And the second picture we want to look at is opposition. Opposition. And this is when insiders and outsiders are against you. As the church started to grow, and as the Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2, Peter and James and John, they had a sudden boldness. Now, boldness is not arrogance. It was confidence. They understood that to be a witness, and it'd be an interesting study, go and see what it means to be a witness. It means to clarify and to testify that the resurrection has occurred. So Peter and James and John, they're out there and they're declaring in Acts chapter 4 that Jesus Christ is Lord and they're doing healings and miracles and signs and wonders. And guess what? The Jews are hating it. The Jewish leaders are like, let's arrest these guys. And then they arrest them and all the people are like, why are you arresting them? They're doing healings and miracles. Isn't that a sign that God's kingdom is present and God's kingdom is about ready? That's what a Jew would know. So they didn't know what to do, and they just said, we're opposed to Jesus Christ. We're opposed, they didn't call it Christianity then, we're we're opposed to this new way of thinking about the Messiah. So notice then in verse 23, and again, this is in the context when outsiders and now insiders are against you. Notice in verse 23, It says, when they were released, again, they locked them up. You can read about that in Acts chapter 4. They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, again, understand this. This is like opposition now is occurring in our context in the church. It's like somebody is doing a work of God in the church, and now the elders in the church are all upset, and they're going, and they're saying, you can't be doing this work of God in the church. That's sort of what's going on. So then it says in verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of the Father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, and he's going to quote from Psalm 2. You can go back and read that later if you want. He says, Why did the Gentiles rage? Again, opposition. Why were the Gentiles so angry? And why did the peoples plot in vain against? King David, it says in verse 26, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. We need to understand something. Opposition occurs now. And some of you are feeling opposition. It may be at work. It may be even in your own marriage or maybe with your children. It may be even here at this church. We definitely feel opposition. We're going to look at this in the next picture, but we feel it in our world, in the culture that we live in. Nobody understands us and gets us, and God forbid if we eat at Chick-fil-A, we're going to get an opposition, right? You can laugh at that. I thought that was pretty funny. I just 
I just created that one. Um, but notice what it says in verse 27. He says, for truly in the city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate. Notice this, though. It says, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. This is what's so shocking to the disciples and the early Jewish Christians. What? Psalm 2 was talking about the Gentiles. Now we're looking at our own people, our own family members, our own blood. Those who we thought were for us are now suddenly against us. And he says, to do whatever your hand and your plan has predetermined to take place. For the sake of time, I just need to get down to verse 31. It says, and when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When you're facing opposition at home, when again, you're facing opposition at work, you're facing opposition at church, we're facing opposition in this community, we need to get serious in our prayer lives and ask God to fill us with boldness. I need to cl clarify this word boldness because some people react. They're, they're saying, okay, Mark, you're telling me to go on the street corner and put up a sign, repent or burn? That's not what we're talking about. The word boldness literally means to be open, to be clear, to explain things. I've been personally, I've been challenged with this a little bit. Um, in fact, one of the speakers sort of talked about this, and I've shared it before. Sometimes when I go get my hair cut or I'm somewhere, and somebody, usually when, it, it's usually when I'm getting my hair cut, and if I'm not getting my hair cut from somebody I know at church or something, uh, met sports clips, usually the first question, what do you do for a living? And again, I've shared with you, I sort of want to keep that a secret, you know? I sort of want to say, I'm a pastor, end of discussion, you know? But where I'm getting challenged is, in my own walk, is, no, I need to be more open. I'm a pastor. I, I, I'm a pastor. Do you have any questions for me? Is there anything I can pray for you about? Why? Because we need to be open, and we need to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that is what we need to be praying for. We need to be praying for us in the midst of opposition, that Jesus Christ is lifted up. If you think being a Christian is going to remove you from opposition, you got another thing coming. Christianity is going to stir everything up. One of the things we learned at a conference is that um, when it comes to the church, especially our church in Jerusalem, which sort of represents our congregation here this morning, is that when you're dealing with the church, and again, this is going to sound harsh, and you're going to have to see the full context, but people can get nasty. <laughs> people can get needy. Why? Because we're still people, even though we're Christians. And church is messy, and, and the word picture, and again, I, I don't even sort of want to mention it, but he described the church as being a pirate ship. And we're getting shot at. And in the midst of opposition, what do we need to be doing? We need to continue to pray. And we need to pray until the Holy Spirit shakes us. 
The filling of the Holy Spirit is boldness and courage. And too many times we've let different theological groups take this word Holy Spirit and and turn it into something that it's not. It's talking about clarity, about proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the resurrected Lord. Death has been defeated and we are alive. And we need to pray for that. And again, I would encourage you as we face opposition, whenever there's a change in church, and this is one of the reasons I want to help us in this transition from me to the next guy. And I want to move us from anxiety to anticipation for whoever the next person is to lead this church. And the reason I want to do that is because I believe that God has great things in store for us as a church. But whenever there's transition, things get messy. And here is what I want us to pray for is that we will have the boldness or the courage. So, so when people leave or people are disgusted or people like don't like the transition or they're like, oh, I wish Mark just would move on or whatever the issue is that people are dealing with, speak openly to them and say, I want you to be a part of this church. Why? Because this is the Lord's church and this is the Lord's family and we need to be a part of what God is doing, and God has great things in store, not because we're great, but because the Holy Spirit, we need to pray for the Spirit that he'll shake us up, and we will do radical things for him. Turn over to Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. If you read, and the reason I say the book of Acts is a great book to look at the anxiety cure into prayer is because the anxiety gets more and more. I mean, I look at Acts chapter 1, and I say, oh, that was sort of nice, wondering what Christ was up to and waiting for the Holy Spirit. And then there's opposition. Now we're moving into persecution. Notice in Acts chapter 12, it says about that time, Herod the king. So this this is the outsiders now. King Herod is after them. Notice what it says, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Again, put ourselves there. Can you imagine? Let's just put ourselves there as a church. Somebody from Harrisonville comes and they execute me and take me out. Next thing you know, Brian over there, he's getting arrested. Wouldn't you be filled with anxiety? Isn't it going to be quick before they're coming and they're coming and getting me? But notice this. It, they do not panic. But notice in verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. That word earnest means to be sincere and intense And to be convicted that the only answer is to pray. You may be saying, Mark, we're not being persecuted yet. But if you're not watching the news, this day is coming. And I'm a firm believer that persecution is going to start happening in America. It's happening throughout the world. You need to go to Voice of Martyrs website and... 
they got a whole prayer unit that we can be praying for people. And, and one of the times at, at conference, they, they were talking about the persecution throughout the world. And they were talking about Muslims who are now becoming Christians. And there, there was one story, and I hate these stories because I hate in, in horror movies or whatever when somebody's chained up. And they were telling a story about this one Christian, and he's still alive, and he lived through it, but he was chained up. And they took pliers, and they started peeling off his skin. Or in some of these Muslim Middle East countries, if you become a a Christian, guess what? They execute your children or kill your wife. But you know what happens? In some of these places, the church is growing, the church is expanding, the church is taking off. Why? Because people are praying. And we need to understand something again, persecution. It may be a little bit different in the United States, but persecution is coming. And that's not when we start praying. We start praying right now. And again, I would encourage you to to go to the Voice of the Martyrs website. And there's a link you can link. And you can start praying for our brothers and sisters throughout the world that are being persecuted for their faith. And we need to be in earnest. Be convicted. Urgent prayer for revival in America. And as we go through the series, I'm I'm going to be hitting home. We need to be praying for revival, not only in our church and in our community, but in America. And that requires earnest prayer. It doesn't mean we just casually pray. We earnestly, earnestly pray in the midst of persecution. And here's the last one that I want to look at this morning as it relates to anxiety, and this may surprise you. You see, when God shows up, and I don't know if you've ever been there before, have you ever been in your devotional time or your prayer time or you've been at a prayer meeting or you've been at a worship service, and all of a sudden you hear God saying things to you? You know, I've had people asking me about my journey. I remember I remember one time, this is about three or four churches back, and I was out working out, and I was working on a treadmill or something, and I I heard God say clearly, Mark, your time is done at this church. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I was like, is that God speaking, or is that the pizza I had last night? And I was like, okay, I need to be done at this church. But what about Michelle? Mason wasn't with us yet, but you know. What about Micah? What about Mackenzie? Because it's going to, in fact, impact them. What about the people that I was discipling? What about the people I was speaking to? And I just heard clearly God saying, you got to be done, Mark. you got to be done. And when God starts speaking to us in ways that he says, I want you to hang in there. In your marriage, I want you to love your prodigal. I want you to tithe, even though it doesn't look like you can afford to tithe. I want you to get out of credit card debt because it's just not a great way to live. I want you to start sharing your faith at work because that is where I placed you and that is where I want you you got to see this in Acts 13. 
What do we do when the Holy Spirit shows up? Acts 13.1 says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. This was the first church. You know, they were first known as Christians at Antioch. And in the church, and again, Mike was sharing about a profile, prophets are those who can declare the word of God and can speak the word of God. And they're visionaries and they can challenge us and motivate us. And teachers are one that can clarify things that are confusing and don't make sense in scripture. And so they're, they're prophets and they're teachers there. And they list their names. And then notice verse 2. And it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said. That word worshiping, some of your translations may say serving. What was clearly going on was what, what was going on right now. And again, if we want the Holy Spirit to show up, we need to be committed to corporate worship. I get it. You can listen to somebody online. You can listen to me online. You can listen to somebody online. You, you can take a break from our church right now and go to another church and wait till the dust settles or whatever. But for the Holy Spirit to show up, it comes in the midst of us joining our hearts together in worship. Michelle was listening to this podcast uh, uh, of this lady that we've been sort of fascinated. And she basically was saying that when we worship together, and she's the leading neuroscientist on the brain, so she's really, really, really smart. And she's studied things, but she's studied people worshiping together. And guess what? Our heartbeats beat in rhythm when we worship together. You know what's so exciting about that? We could be here and we could all be in disagreement about this issue or that issue. Or we could say, why are we singing that song? I would rather us be singing that song. But while we are singing and worshiping, God is looking at us and our hearts are beating in rhythm. But when this happens, guess what? The Holy Spirit shows up out of nowhere. Because they're hungry and they're thirsty for God and they're worshiping him. And notice what he says. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. You see, as I was looking at this, my heart just went to where we're at as a church. And as we're going through transition, I pray that we will be praying and worshiping together and asking the Holy Spirit to show up. And that we can understand, just as Paul and Barnabas are being sent off uh, to, to lay hands on Michelle and I as we go to our next journey, but know that God, even though when he sends someone off, guess what? He's bringing someone. And I've shared with some of you already, when God closes a door, guess what? He opens another door. And when God closes a door for a pastor, he opens a new door for them. When God closes a door for a congregation, guess what? He opens a new door for them. But we're never going to see it and we're never going to experience it if we're not worshiping together and seeking out the Holy Spirit and say, Spirit, speak to us. Spirit, speak to us. Send us where we need to go. Send us to talk to whoever we need to talk to. Send us the person who needs Christ so that we can share Christ with them. Send me to the person I need to reconcile with. Send me, oh Lord, send me.